Well, hello. It's Angus Gill here, and welcome to my brand new podcast, where I'll be chatting with a very special guest each week. We'll be exploring the genesis, the catalyst, the origins of their story, flicking through the pages of their past, and seeing just how it has made them the person that they are now. I'm going to try and discover more about my guest's background, their personal lives, their interests, and their philosophy on the art and the craft of songwriting. This podcast is inspired by a song off my new album, Welcome to My Heart, which is out on Friday the 20th of September. It's a track called Origins, autobiographical for me. I've been digging deep and looking at where I've come from and how my origins have influenced the journey so far. My guest today is a country music legend. He was the 2019 role of renowned inductee at the Country Music Awards of Australia. It's James Blundell and he joins me now. G'day James, how are you going? Angus, any fitter, and I'd be jailed. <laughs> hey, mate, we first met, I was just thinking about this the other day, we first met at the Warhope RSL Club probably about eight years ago. I would have been something like 15, and I interviewed you for the radio show I was doing at the time, and I was thinking it's kind of a bit like we're, we're straight back there now for this interview for the podcast. Exactly, exactly. You know, we drove through Warhope, we played at Port Macquarie weekend before last, and after we got between Warhope and um, Walker, we actually drove through snow last Sunday. I'm going, what is going on? About 50 k's out of Walker and about 10 k's the other side. I'm going, I'm very glad I don't live here. It's interesting. I drive that road a lot on the way to Tamworth. And it's hot everywhere else in January when you're going there for the festival. You go through Walker, you almost need a beanie. Yeah. <laughs> Same Spot as on. same as Armadale and Gyra, you know that that's Parker well, weather up there, you know. <laughs> seriously, Gyra. I mean, there's a caravan park that says the highest altitude caravan park in Australia, and there's a very good reason for that. People don't usually park the caravans above the snow line there. <laughs> that's so true, <laughs> mate. I was thinking back to that interview that we did in Warhope, and uh, I remember you saying something about the fact that you go through a phase as a songwriter of writing songs that are so non-commercial yeah. that no one likes them except you. Yeah, look, it's inevitable. One of the biggest uh, points of clarity I have, having sort of lived both ends of the spectrum, when I first started recording and performing, I was all the material was written about life prior to being a professional musician. Then I spent 20 years sort of travelling, and not that you run out of things to write about, but you write about... I guess what you're living, and at that stage of the game, life revolved around packing a suitcase and just travelling out infinite and playing all the time. And while there's a, 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 a wealth of experiences in there, it's not the same as uh, as writing observational pieces about the the breathtaking beauty of the country we live in, or the the uh, the, 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 the ardour of, of, of long days and 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 sleep, you know, short nights, and and they've got a grit to them that just saying, uh, uh, you know driving ad infinitum yet again has that there's there's more texture to the 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 broader experiences and then having decamped from sydney i lived in and around sydney for 25 years on and off and, and then when i got back to the place i found that when my hands are busy with manual labor or working with livestock your mind starts to roam again over the things that that are a point of difference to how the rest of the world live their lives and, and it gives you it puts you back in that rich vein of of observational and, and experienced um, sort of storytelling. Well, that's it. You get the best of both worlds, being able to work on the farm but also uh, work on the road. 
I think sometimes I feel as though I'm living in a bit of a bubble or I'm on another wavelength because my parents always say, oh, what is this? You know, you're sleeping until 8am and going to bed at, at midnight and, you know, all the travelling that we do and everything. It, it's not really normal. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. A, a day in the life on a property is, is very, very simple. It's you get up, you work hard, you see a result for your efforts. Um, it's not quite so tangible in the world of people. And, and I hate with a, with a uh, fearsome loathing platit- platitudes and things that become buzz phrases, but the bubble, you know, they're all talking about the Canberra bubble now, the this bubble and that bubble, but that, that life you've just described, which is what we inhabit 80% of the time, it, it, is, it is divorced from uh, a, a day job or, or uh, you know, uh, getting your weekends off. I think one of the things that over 32 years of doing this, you get to the stage of going, actually, I've, I don't think I've had a weekend where you just knock off on Friday afternoon and have a couple of days to enjoy yourself. I don't think I've had one of those for about 30 years. Well, I can't relate to 30 years, but I definitely know where you're coming from when uh, we don't really have weekends because oftentimes, you know, Tuesday or Monday uh, are the weekends for me and I might have a beer and uh, and mum's like, oh, what are you doing drinking on a Tuesday? And I'm like, oh, well, this is my weekend, really. <laughs> I was asked by someone the other day if I had any interests outside of music and I had to think long and hard about that. But music is really my world and your world is in Stanthorpe where I believe you were born and raised, um, but you live there now, so you haven't strayed very far. Yeah, and, and exactly right. Well, with the exception of travelling the world and, and, and the nation ad infinitum, <laughs> it's, a, it's a pretty strong umbilical cord. And going back to the, the, the buzzwords that have uh, just become so part of everyday life, um, the, there's that whole concept of the life-work balance. And I've successfully engineered myself a, a work-work balance, but I, do in, I enjoy both jobs equally. You know, I'm as happy and satisfied being on the property doing the hands-on as I am performing. Uh, if there's a, The only thing I really don't enjoy as much as I used to is the, is the travel because it means that you're just sitting still. I'm not, I'm not very good at sitting still. I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm on the spectrum somewhere. I just never had it officially analysed. Yeah, I know. I love being able to travel around the country and taking my music to all different corners of the globe except, yeah, the plane flight's not so much unless it comes with free champagne. Um, Growing up in your childhood home, do you have one distinct memory of a visual or a smell or a taste or a sound or a texture that sums up the family home for you? Well, from an artistic point of view, blessed beyond belief, because the the house has an incredible history. It was handmade by a bunch of First World War returnees. Uh, My father's godfather... Um, a guy called Darkie Marshall, uh, his wife uh, came from down around Bathurst or Wagga, I think, and she particularly wanted a Pizé-style house, which is rammed earth with plaster and then stucco on the outside, which is a rough finish and it's always whitewashed. So the walls are, are, are just under a metre thick. It's, it's a very, very sturdy edifice and it's got natural, beautiful natural um, climate control. It's, it's uh, warm in winter and cool in summer and high roofs and big rooms and it's basically a big square with a, a veranda around three sides of corrugated iron roof and and uh, it, it's it's a it's a beautiful home it, it needs a good coat of paint and a bit of love at the moment but they finished it in 1926 and uh, we had a guy just recently in the last four or five years had a crawl around underneath it just checks you know stumps and bearers and 
He said, "This house will be here for another hundred years, quite happily. It's 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 built like a tank. It's it's, it's uh, but to live in a house that was actually handmade and during the depression, uh, there was." very little money for materials so they dug all the clay out of the creek and they had big working bees where people had turned up on a thursday and friday and they'd work like trojans thursday friday saturday and then knock off and have a huge party on the sunday and all go home with a hangover on the monday but really it was a house built by committee i want to talk a little bit about the relationship that you had with your parents did you have a good relationship with your parents or did you butt heads a little bit no, well, look, you know, uh, very, very close to mum. She was a remarkable woman. I was telling you when we worked together last time that uh, when dad went to England to study Hereford cattle, as he was on the ship leaving the docks in Brisbane, his father yelled out to him, have a great time and don't bring home any live souvenirs. And sure as hell he came home with mum who was here for 42 years. And to the, to the day she died, she never lost her English accent, which is great. So she and I were always uh, very close and, and very little conflict. Dad and I adore each other. We you know, we're very. He turns eighty four in February, and there's, when I'm at home, we always spend time together every day. But when I between fourteen and about twenty five, you know, there wouldn't be a day go past that we didn't have a fairly heated argument about something. Usually, me telling him what to do, and him telling me to mind my own business. So a very a very healthy male relationship. I, I, I think, you know, at the at the risk of mouthing a cliche had pretty much the textbook relationship with both parents in the gender roles because uh, uh, a lot of love to and from both sides of it but definitely conflict with that and definitely uh, I was very protective of mum because you know I felt that uh, sometimes dad didn't didn't treat her with the deference she deserved and I think it's probably best illustrated with the fact that we still run a slow combustion stove and cut uh, timber for it up in dad's house Wow. And one particular summer, I was in my mid-20s and it was about 42 degrees outside and about 51 in the in the kitchen and mum was cooking a roast for dinner. So I said, mate, honestly, let that thing go out in summer and buy her an electric oven so she can just turn it on when she needs to cook. And dad's response was, when that slow combustion stove leaves this house, so do I. So, mm. <laughs> so not probably not the most compassionate man in a relationship, but they had a wonderful marriage for 42 years and as i was saying we lost it to alzheimer's which is a huge tragedy but yeah. uh, you know it was it was a good relationship to grow up around yeah. and, and part of well i can relate completely to that because i'm the same with my parents uh, i'm very close yep. to my mum and i wrote a song about her called cornerstone because she's like the cornerstone of the family house and the family business um and i wrote a song for my dad too but it's called by we i mean you because um <laughs> I love what you said when we, we worked together in Port Macquarie. You know, I know wherever Dad is, he's looking down at me. He's not dead. He's just very condescending. That's <laughs> it. He's a great guy. Um, you know, I've kind of inherited his uh, his sense of humour. He's like a, a comedian but with a very small audience here. He's ever the entertainer, <laughs> um, but he's also very hot-headed and we often call him crash, bang, bust. He'll have an idea in his head and he'll have to do it and he'll, he'll come home in his foul mood and I'm a very calm person and I'll lower myself to the tranquility of a bar and bay resident and it just fires him up another notch. Yeah. Yeah, it's like you don't give a damn. <laughs> I do. I just choose not to retaliate. Yeah. It's funny because Dad is—he's very vocal and loses his temper at the drop of the hat and uh, of a hat, and then and then wonder why when he calms down, everybody's looking slightly shattered. And it's because because you've just been a complete ass, mate. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, wanted to ask, mate, uh, did the relationship that you had with your parents influence the other relationships in your life? 
I have been dying to answer that particular question for about 26 years because it's a matter of public record that I've had a fairly volatile uh, uh, personal life. And the problem, I, I think, very strongly was that not only were my mother and I great friends, but she exemplified the pioneer spirit because her background was uh, uh, country England and then to London University to study, to study literature and literally went straight from university into the upper echelons of corporate life in the UK. She was the secretary of the uh, head of Rolls-Royce Aeronautics and went from there to a secretary to a member of the House of Commons who was granted, given a peerage and she wound up a secretary to a member of the House of Lords and met a Queensland country boy in Gloucestershire in her home country and really, uh, without too much hesitation, just completely changed her life and moved to the other side of the planet. Um, when she was getting towards the end, just before she went into full-time care, uh, I was taking her for a walk one day and I got the opportunity to ask a, a, a burning question. Anybody that's dealt with dementia will tell you in those last sort of twilight years, you get moments of absolute clarity. The person comes back out of the fog and mum, uh, she was walking behind me and she said, I just wanted to say thank you for being such a good friend for, during my life. And I probably burst into tears, but I didn't want to see that. So kept my back to her and I said, I do have a question while you're here. Do you ever regret leaving the United Kingdom and spending the majority of your life in Australia? Because she never naturalised. Dad said, do you want to become an Australian citizen? No, I'm, I'm an English woman and that's, that's how I'll stay. And her response to that question was, no, I could never have been as free in England as I was here. And I thought that was a, a wonderful comment about our culture. I thought it, it absolutely you know, identified the part of her that, that I related to most and really... Uh, in hindsight, a lot of my life's conflict has been uh, dealing with anything that looks like it is going to curtail you either your personal or intellectual freedom, and I'm sure that was genetically directly from her. Yeah, and you were saying before that your mum had dementia, and it's made me think because my grandparents, uh, my nan on my mum's side and my grandma on my dad's side have recently been diagnosed with the early stages of Alzheimer's. It's such a, a dreadful disease, um, virtually watching it take over someone else's lives and watching them deteriorate in front of your eyes. And I actually uh, wrote a song called In the Cards, which was all about this uh, game of cards that I used to have with my grandma. And I tried to do it recently and... She was um, picking up when she should have been putting down and putting down when she should have been picking up. She was getting all uh, confused and embarrassed about it. But there is something that's very interesting. Um, in the midst of this deterioration, there are some very profound things that they come out with at times. Only somebody living it could make those observations. I couldn't agree with you more. I've, I've said because it's very, very frustrating when you watch someone you love just deteriorating. It's I actually said a couple of times that I think that cancer is probably a preferable uh, diagnosis because at least with cancer you get a remission or death, you get a result. But with uh, with with dementia, it's just this gradual decline into nothingness. And my my experience has been that it it, it always attacks the most intellectually active people. And like with your grandma, that that, that mum one book was never enough. She'd always have two or three books. Uh, open at varying stages around the, the places. I read once, Wilbur Smith wrote once, that there was a book in danger of a broken spine because they were all just lying face down open at the last page she'd read. And 
if she ever got time to sit down, she'd just pick up where she left off. And I had a didactic memory and uh, just an incredible woman. And watching that high intellect just atrophy was was devastating. It was it was very very sad. It certainly is. And uh, something that's quite interesting about people with dementia and how music can transform them to another place in time and bring back a flood of memories. I actually took my nan out to the Slim Dusty Centre the other day. She's always been my number one supporter and I was playing a gig there, but she hasn't seen me play in a while. And it's just amazing how her face lights up when when she hears the songs that I used to play for her. Did you come from a musical family at all? Um Going back, uh, I'm not so sure about mum's parents because I only saw them when they came out to Australia two or three times and I was young when they both died. But on dad's side of the family, his mother actually, she was raised in Wollara and Sydney and particularly wanted to join the theatre. But her family were uh, very wealthy and, and it wasn't done to have your daughter on the stage back then. So they basically stymied her creative uh, desires uh, and I think it did It play. She was a huge supporter when my career started to get some Momentum, she was probably the most passionate supporter of the lot. She said, just go and do it, go and do it, go and do it, because, you know, she'd seen what it was like to be held back from that. Dad's father was a wonderful natural athlete and exceptionally talented um, violinist. Uh, again, the Second World War sort of put a dent in his life and he wound up with a, a, a thing called myasthenia, a condition called myasthenia, which is, is early motor neuron sort of stuff, and then uh, developed a, an appalling tennis elbow, so he simply couldn't play anymore, which was a huge frustration to him. Mum sang like a bird and put her in a – if we ever went to church, she'd just take over and, you know, sing. She used to go, tra-la-la-la-la was her thing. <laughs> and used to embarrass my brother hotly. He'd actually move to anywhere that wasn't where she was. And uh, I loved it. I thought she was fantastic. And Dad, as a sort of the quintessential, quintessential Australian bushman, was heavily involved in amateur theatricals in town. I mean, we were dragged off into freezing cold Stanthorpe winter's nights to watch – uh, productions of Punch Wagon and Carousel and The Gondoliers and we all wound up with bit parts and those things. So very much uh, entertainment as a uh, 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 recreational uh, vocation was huge in our family. But I always say it was so like the Waltons it wasn't funny because we'd be sitting around the kitchen table waiting for dinner to finish cooking and, and one, either my brother or I would have a guitar and we'd sit and sing songs. I mean, it was it was... It was it was cringeworthy. It was so down home, you know. But that's what we did. It was, a, it was a very musical house, which is actually in total contrast to me because my closest musical connection was my 103 year old great grandpa Poppy Roy, who used to play the mandolin, and I've still got the mandolin here hanging up in my studio. It's interesting. You were talking about your mum before and how she was so much of a bookworm. Um, and I was I was reading this great book by Stephen King, uh, which is actually not a horror book. It's called On Writing. No, he's great. He's a great writer. A lot of people don't know about a lot of his work outside the, the, the gas pack of books. He says something in this book that writers must read. Are you much of a reader? Huge bookworm. Um, it's interesting, uh, something you were saying earlier in the, in the conversation, my downtime, I, I love movies, absolutely love movies, and the thing that has, has perfected my insomnia is the advent of Netflix and Stan because, I mean, the world's productions are there and, you know, I'll, I'll binge watch something that I've just finished, uh, Black Sail, which is about, the, it's an extrapolation of the Robert Louis Stevenson Treasure Island book, and it's absolutely brilliant. You get completely engrossed and then you... Then you realise that you've spent four nights watching a, a, a movie when you should have been 
uh, getting some sleep, get ready for the next day. And I've, I've just remonstrated with myself and saying you must get back to reading because at least with the book you can put it down. You get to a certain stage and you go, right, I'm going to sleep now. And I, I think that they're probably a healthier interaction because not only does your mind have to extrapolate all the characters uh, in your own uh, sense, but you, you, you sort of there's a cadence to reading that, that leaves you a little more in control of the experience rather than just being drawn into the next episode and the next episode, which I think is brilliant. I've, you know, I, I often think about the people that edit the series like Animal Kingdom and uh, House. I was a huge House of Cards fan and they always get you to the stage where you know you should be going to sleep but then you go, oh, I've just got to see what happens next. You know? And, and with, the, with the book, you don't have to be connected to Wi-Fi and you can stick it in your bag and you, uh, you're a little more in control of the experience. One of the nicest things, um, the, the mother of my two smaller children, great attitude to reading. She would she travelled extensively. And when she finished a book, she would just leave it in any public place in a phone booth while I was still sort of part of life or on a train station or on a, on a plane. And people would say, oh, you should have taken that. No, because someone else will pick it up and read. And I thought that was a really, really good attitude to books. That's amazing. Do you have any books that you're currently reading that you would recommend? Oh, look, yeah. You know, that's 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 a dangerous thread to pull. There, there are so many uh, good books. In my retro catalogue, um, anything Wilbur Smith ever wrote, I, I, I wholeheartedly advise people to dive into. Uh, a dad, he and I uh, often discuss. He reads avidly, and uh, he's just given me a book that was published in '74 uh, about the Bermuda Triangle. And man, it is absolutely fascinating because. Everything is so of the moment now that every you know you, you're on site with the people diving for wreckage, but there's just so much uh, gathered information even back then that you just you know, turn another page and turn another page and go, "Wow, I didn't know that." Um, I, 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 uh, I love um, you were talking about Stephen King before. Um, I love finding quirky, quirky things. There's uh, Anne Rice who wrote the Lestat Chronicles. The the the, the um, uh, Vampire Chronicles, uh, is that right? Anyway, but, any but people who know her work will know that. But one of her amazing books was not one that fell into that category. It was called Memnock the Devil. And in it was this incredible treatise about the justification of Satan as a fallen angel and questioning God. And I was reading this book going, this is so much better than, than the things she's known for. Uh, 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 and I think that may be something of a frustration to an author of, of, of that ilk. Another great example, uh, Ben Elton, who I think probably everybody got on board with, with Dead Famous when um, Big Brother first became a global phenomenon and, and he wrote a book called Dead Famous and then uh, uh, a series of things uh, that were all of topical uh, uh, interest and, and very, very astute. I think, called, uh, I think I just said Blind Faith, but oh, you've got to read these things. But his original book was a book called Stark and it was uh, – uh, it's, a, it's just brilliant. It's a brilliant piece of writing. So, yeah, don't get me started on books. I will, I'll give you chapter and verse of about 50 that I think everybody should read. Well, I might hold that one to you, mate. I want to talk a little bit about the songwriting process. How does it typically start for you? What's that catalyst that you look for? Is it a fragment of a lyric, an instinct, a groove, or a melody? I, I would say looking back across you know, half a lifetime of writing now that uh, only about 30% of what I write comes from a musical uh, nucleus. Um, uh, inevitably, 
you'll see something. I have a great sense of the ridiculous, and you'll see something. You go, that is just funny, and, and, for, and for all the wrong reasons, people you know pull it apart and go, that's not funny at all. That's tragic, or it's just you know blah blah. But you, the absurdity of life is a is an endless font of, of, of inspiration. And the other one, which is I just love, it, is people will just say something without any intention. It just it's a turn of phrase that just strikes. I was talking to a bloke. I played down at a a really interesting uh, little country festival in um, South Australia. Uh, and as I try and think of the name of it, it'll come back to me. But I was, and I'd known him for a number of years and he's a very colourful character. And I'd met his previous girlfriend and uh, he had a new one there and she was great. And, uh, uh, and so, so it didn't go so well with son. So, and he said, no, nah, no, nah, she was a bitch. That's why she's an ex. And I thought, oh, my God, that's why she's an ex is the perfect start point for a song so that one's underway at the moment but it just fell out of a conversation you know I was going, that's there's just such a breadth in there you can go from the you know sublime to the ridiculous in in, in unpacking that so it, quite often it'll just be a, a a snippet that you go yep no that's that's a rock you just build everything around that it's often a case of having your songwriting antenna permanently sticking up and you're just waiting for the right turn of phrase that you might be able to turn into a hook or a song title. Or I was actually over in Nashville and I was talking to a guy called Mike who was uh, working at the Airbnb that I was staying at and he'd had a really rough life. You know, he was living on the street for a long time but he'd just gotten a car and a stable job and... Um, and I said, how are you doing now, Mike? And he's like, I'm almost all right. And I'm like, that's it. So we, we wrote a song called Almost All Right. Um, speaking of songwriters, it's a very difficult question, but I'm going to ask it to you. Who is your favourite songwriter and what are the qualities that you admire about them? Well, you know, I always go straight to Christopherson for the reason that I was just articulating is that there's a man who is so masculine that he fought his way through university. He couldn't afford Oxford, but he wound up. He was a very good boxer, and he got his his uh, his, his scholastic. He got his uh, scholarship through through fighting, and yet this man with the with the dustiest, driest lyrics will write the 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 uh, go straight to the point of some of the most emotive aspects of the male female dynamic you know and you're going how does somebody who, who just you know is a hard living you know boxer have the empathy to, to be able to come up with these incredibly emotionally delicate songs like help me make it through the night and for the good times and all those things they're just a fantastic paul kelly the same you know i look at paul's work and i'm going man you just get it right all the time i was listening again to dumb things which when it's all said and done is nearly my favorite of all paul's songs and you go what a, what a great song and from such an unlikely source because paul's not a big guy you know and uh, it, it is just a really quiet sort of self-effacing bloke but this this towering and towering intellect you know that just just get gets the right words in the right place and does it consistently and and then you know i mean Pick a straw, you know, uh, Dylan on a good day, you know, just that, that incredible. Johnny Mitchell is one of my favourite writers, James Taylor, um, Springsteen. Uh, Spring I just love Springsteen's writing. I think it's fantastic. Was there any advice that you would give to your younger self on how to navigate your way through the music industry and through life? It, it's funny. Raising children is, is, is the perfect way to distill your own truths. And I'm mm. actually delighted with both my older children, who are 21 and 18 respectively, in as much as one of the things I'd said to them, not even thinking it would make any sense, if I would change anything, it would be to take my relationships 
with women less seriously from 15 to 35 because right. back then I, I believe that my generation were the ones that had to determine at what stage is a relationship detrimental to the two people involved in it and what do you do about that? Do you, do you end the relationship? Do you go forward under sufferance? And, and you know, my actions speak for themselves. I think if, if you think that you're not doing each other any good, then you you, you call, you, you, you say, right, well, this is going nowhere. So, uh, so I think that, again, that's a simple statement to say I would pay less I would, I would put less uh, uh, value on my primary relationships because everything else spills from there. The decisions you make about what you're doing with your, your, your business life and your fitness and your health and all those things are predicated upon your emotional state of, of happiness. And uh, if, if it, the sooner you find your own emotional state of happiness, the, the, the sooner you become valuable in a relationship as opposed to trying to prop up the part, parts of yourself that probably haven't developed yet with another person that's unfair on the other person and it doesn't teach you as a person anything so the further you can go uh, figuring all that stuff out for yourself the more value you have when you enter a relationship a permanent relationship down the track well james thank you so much for chatting about the origins and the evolutions of your story and thank you for being part of this duet track that we have on my new album called Doesn't Mean I Don't Believe, which is pretty much a song about spirituality rather than religion. Well, well, perhaps after the conversation we've just had, you might, it'll give you a clearer understanding of why I thought that was such a great song. I thought, there you go. At 21 years of age, this guy's actually asked him some questions that matter or, or making some statements that are going to lead people I can when I first heard that song, I can see people of my age because I turned fifty-five in December, so I'm literally twice your age. And you know, a lot of us have asked questions on an ever escalating sense of, of grandeur as you mature. And, and when I first heard those lyrics, I thought, well, that's a that's a young guy. If he's made that realization at this stage of his life, and along with Matt Scullion, who is a is a good thinker, you know, that's a valuable piece of music because it might help might help somebody else who's going, well, what's it all about? You know, if, if you know, if what I'm taught are the rules uh, 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 finite, well, how come there's so much unfairness? And it's, I just thought it was a brilliant song, which is why it's a pleasure to sing it with you. Well, thanks, mate. I, I really appreciate it, and I'm stoked with how it's come up. It was actually kind of I was producing the album, and I was really after a duet song, and I had this song in mind. And when I thought about who I could do it with, you instantly come to mind because I thought you've got that philosophical approach to your craft and, and to life. I kind of wrote that song as a bit of play on the word belief, uh, which which A, is meaning uh, what you believe in and B, meaning your beliefs. Um, so I'm just really happy with how it turned out. Well, for, for a bit of validation, my 84-year-old father, I was telling him when I, I did that, I said, this, this young guy's written a song I think you like because... He uh, alienated the local uh, pastor because the pastor was saying to him, Pete, we don't see you in church at all, you know, and Dad, was, <laughs> Dad just said, well, mate, I feel a lot closer to God on a horse on a mountain than I do sitting in a church. And the guy was absolutely, he said, that's not that's not appropriate. And that's why well, I don't really care what's appropriate. I'm only formatted, I don't care. It's like he said, yeah, I have a very, very close and personal relationship with the divine in whatever format that takes in your life. It doesn't have to be any of the, 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 the you know, set in stone uh, um, deities. It's just whether you feel plugged into life, I think that's the deal. James, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much, mate. 
Back at you, Angus. And, and look, you know, I think very highly what you're doing and where you're at in, in your life at the stage of the game. So it's been a pleasure speaking with you. That was the first episode of the Origins podcast. Thanks for being here. Thanks for listening. We'd love it if you could please subscribe and tune in next week. We'll have a brand new episode. See you then. My Origins made me who I am now. My Origins can be traced back to that house. Don't know. Again.